0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 90. I have been Instagram friends with our guest today for a while now and have seen her change and growth and development from being an adult amateur, riding really pretty ponies, taking beautiful pictures, posting on social media, and that slowly and casually turning into her becoming a professional and taking on her very own training business. It has been so fun to see and I just think her journey is super unique and something that people should hear about. So let's hear it from our guest today, Melina Poole. Well, let's jump in. I'd love to hear about how you got into riding, how you started, and the winding road to get to where you are today. Okay, let's start from the very beginning. Well, nobody in my family
1: rode horses. I just came out (laughs) loving horses. Yeah. So at the age of four, I rode my first horse just for a birthday. And it wasn't until I was seven that I started taking serious lessons and at this time I was out in Arizona and I did a couple lessons and then when I was 10, I got my first horse <laughs> and we'd always done the jumpers and that horse was Missy. That was my first ever horse and I, had, I still have her today. So she's 25 now and wow. I've had her 15 years. <laughs> so That's kind of how it started is I just had a love and my parents thought, oh, she's young. We'll Mm -hmm. let her have a birthday party. She'll grow out of it. Totally. And never stopped asking. So I was very blessed that they let me pursue that passion.
0: Amazing. Yeah. So you started riding, you went straight to jumpers, which is, which isn't like super, super normal, but was your barn that you started riding at primarily jumpers or how, what did that look like?
1: No, I started riding at a barn called Crossroads Farm and it's in Gilbert, Arizona and they do hunters, jumpers, equitation. They do it all. And I would say actually they're number one specialty would probably be the hunters. Um and Rachel does her own breeding program there and produces incredible hunter babies. But I just my parents never really had the budget to do the whole pony route or you know the nice egg horse or hunter horse. And when Missy came in the barn, she she's a quarter horse. She wasn't, you know, some fancy warm blood. She was just there to learn how to jump. Mm -hmm. And then it just took off. We were like, wow, this this horse can really jump and she's not expensive. So I could climb the jumper levels with her. And we ended up jumping meter fifteen with her. So wow. she Yeah, she she really beat the odds and she was such a special horse and it just fell right into my lap. And it turned out that I actually love the jumpers the most. Yeah, <laughs> so that's
0: awesome. Yeah. Cool. For a lot of people, the natural progression is to do the ponies, do the hunters, and then transition into ACK, and then transition into jumpers, and then start doing the bigger stuff in the jumpers. I mean, there's totally pros and cons to all of it. Obviously, that route, you get a foundation and, and things like that. You get the proper position. But on the flip side, I feel like doing jumpers your whole life, you've been practicing the jumpers for so long now, and it must have yeah. uh, gave, given you a little bit of an edge um, from starting at a young age. I always admired
1: the kids that could have that progression because I felt, yeah, like you said, they just had a better foundation and a better transition to it and had the opportunity to learn so many different rides and different horses. And I didn't really, I didn't have that. I grew up riding the lesson horses and until I had Missy and she was one of those horses. You didn't really ride. You just (laughs) sat on and hoped that, you know, she'd let you tell her what to do. Right. Um, And it wasn't until I ended up leasing a hunter actually before I bought Zini that I really dabbled in this is what a hunter feels like. This is what it's like to ride them. And he actually really prepared me to get back into riding when I got Zini. But I think at least for me, I loved the jumper aspect because I would always hear the girls compare themselves to the other horses or the other riders. And I just I got to go out there and give it my best. It didn't matter that I was on a little Palomino quarter horse or that my parents could afford the really nice jacket or, you know, so from an early age, I realized it's not about what you have. It's about the mindset and the attitude when you go into that ring.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. So you were riding in the jumpers, living your best life. At what (laughs) point in time did you decide that you wanted to keep going with that? How old were you when you had Zini or when you first got him?
1: I was 21. Yeah, but I, I had Missy... I still have her. And I kept riding until I was 15. And then I realized I needed to have surgery. Mm -hmm. So my riding career came to an end. And then by the time I was recovered, because it was almost a year long recovery, I was starting college and working and I did not have time to ride or horse show. I was just trying to find a way to pay her bills Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I could keep her. And it wasn't until 2016 that I started riding again. So, and that was right around at the time that I got Zini. I started riding beginning of 2016
0: and then by the end, I bought Zini. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you have to have surgery on? My hip. Oh, was it an accident related or something that was bothering you for a while? What happened? That is one thing we still don't really
1: know to this day. Wow. Um, I'd always ran track and cross country. So, you know, when you get shin splints, they suck and you just manage them and push through it unless you want to take months off. Mm -hmm. So when I started having hip pain, I just treated it the same way. I would warm up on the bike before I'd run and then ice it afterward. And I just kept doing that and kept going. So by the time I realized I needed to have surgery, I could barely walk. Wow! Um, So they were like, we don't know how you've gone this long. How did you not realize? And it ended up being a tear in my labrum, but it had ended up tearing so severely that there was just bone on bone and little stress fractures in my femur. It was a disaster. Oh gosh. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But so to say whether it started from an injury or it was just prolonged use and not resting, I could- Probably probably. both. (laughs) (laughs) Both. Oh gosh. But that was not a fun time and recovery was rough, but I feel like it was worth it just because now I'm
0: back at it and riding and running and doing all the things that I wow. love. and Yeah, definitely. And so how much time in total did you take off of riding? I would say it was about five years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then what was your process like coming back into it? How did you feel like that okay. transition was?
1: Yeah. So obviously school and I was just finding ways to pay Missy's bills and found like a half leaser just so I could keep her. And then I met my husband and I moved to Florida in 2014. And I brought Missy with me and I just boarded her locally, kind of had the same mindset that I was going to work and maybe ride her around, just trail ride and find a half-leaser that would maybe be interested. And then I fell into this group when I went to this new barn in Florida and they were like, you should come to the shows and just watch us. And at the time, I really loved photography. So I was going to support the people from that barn at these shows and taking pictures of them. And I would come home, you know, telling my husband, I'm like, look at look at the the kids did and look at what Mindy did or this Mm -hmm. person or that person. And over time, the fuel just got, I don't know, I was, the fire was reignited inside of me that I was like, okay, maybe I should pursue this again. And obviously I had Missy to Trail ride or yeah, on in the time in between when I started leasing a horse. But then once I got the itch, I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna lease a horse just to get back into it, get strong again. Um, and that's when I leased this little hunter, he was 17, you know, Packer, done been there, done that, and yeah. really took care of me, helped me get strong. And once I felt like, okay. I'm strong enough. I want to find my partner to do this with, how I did with Missy. I just started shopping and ended up finding Mr. Zini. (laughs) Wow. Where did you end up finding him? This is a really complicated story. (laughs) Um, So I ended up trying horses locally. Obviously, Florida is a great place to try horses. Totally. Totally. Wellington you've got Ocala and I'm in the middle Mm -hmm. so we did travel around and tried a couple horses and at the time I was thinking more I would lease first just to get back into the jumpers in a more competitive horse so I was looking at lease options and then there was this horse um, in Nashville so I ended up flying to Tennessee and tried this little mare there I loved her to death I ended up vetting her. Actually, we flew back a second time to vet her and she did not pass. Mm -hmm. So heartless because that's the worst. Yeah. I thought I had found the one and it just stopped me in my tracks and I was just crushed. And the lady that owned her was like, well, if you love this one, my partner and I are buying one and it'll be coming in from Europe, hopefully in a month or so. So just, you know, if, if you like this one, you'll probably love the next one. And you can come back. So I was like, okay, do you have any pictures, videos? And they showed me Zini and I got home and she ended up texting me a few days later and was like, Hey, my partner actually can't go in on this deal with me. So I won't be able to get that horse. But you know, if you loved him, here's the contact information for the people over in Europe. I was like, okay. So I contact them. I never I didn't know anything about importing a horse. So I started talking to them, getting more information. And he actually hadn't even gone to the market yet. So it just was this perfect opportunity where they were gonna buy him before he had gone to market. And since their spell through, I was just next in line. Wow. And that is what led me to Zini. I just sight unseen, never never rode him, sat on him and I just fell in love.
0: Wow. See, yeah. that? Do, I mean, that doesn't, it doesn't happen like that very often. So it's pretty yeah. special. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. And what, what was the process like at this time? Did you have a trainer work with you? Like how much did he know when he arrived? What was that all like? So this was, when I bought him, I
1: thought he knew more than he actually did. Sure. Um, but, but the woman that owned him actually owns her own dressage facility over mm. in the Netherlands. And okay. she primarily breeds, starts young horses in dressage. And her boyfriend bought her zini young with the thought that maybe he could be her next
0: dressage stallion. Oh, okay.
1: And that's when they realized he's... He's such a good boy, but he has a very big personality, and I can only imagine when he was younger. And they were like, he just does not want to do this. He's too opinionated and wants to play. So she ended up sending him to Samantha, who was riding him and teaching him the ropes of the jumpers. Mm -hmm. And I ended up finding a video of him. He was like six doing the meter 10, and you would not believe it was the same horse. He just... Did not know what he was doing, but what was clear is that he loved to jump. He didn't care where they put him. He just wanted to get to the other side and always was so bold to the fences. So it showed me that this is his calling. This is what he wants to do. And I can see why they chose to deter him from the dressage route to the jumper route. And when he got here, like I said, I kind of thought he knew more than he did. But there was a lot of holes that needed to be filled in along the way. And I got him. I fell off, actually, the first time I ever jumped him. (laughs) (laughs) He jumped to the top of the standard. Oh, my gosh. I just fell straight on my butt. I was like, what did I do? I bought this horse. I can't even ride him he's so powerful but I'm gonna I, have to be a
0: sponsored God. rider for sticky spray
1: <laughs> yeah exactly I was like you know I've always had this mindset though I'm not afraid of a challenge so instead of being like oh my gosh he's too much I need to find something else I was like I'm gonna figure this out so I spent probably two months just learning how to flat him and We really, really worked him at the flat and he wanted to go very strung out and just really didn't know how to package himself. And once we got that down, we started working in the jumping and because I had gotten so much stronger, it worked perfectly for the both of us as we both got the strength that we needed.
0: And I'm trying to think how, how it all went. I mean, mean, that's that's pretty crazy because I mean, that's probably why the dressage trainer was like, yeah, it's going to be a no-go for dressage. Because if you have such a long bodied horse who doesn't like to be collected or packaged up, like you were saying, it takes so much strength to keep a horse there, especially one that at first doesn't have the strength or the desire to stay that way. Right. And he also was
1: not very happy about going forward, you know? <laughs> so he, would, he might buck or throw his head or make mm-hmm. a little squeal and play. He would do it. He would just have to have a little moment first. Mm-hmm. So I, I could see why, you know, dressage, they need to respond right away to those aids and move totally. on Totally do things without it being noticeable. And he was the opposite. <laughs> He's yeah. like, watch this.
0: <laughs> um <laughs>
1: But, you know, it, it worked out great. And we started, I think 0.75 was their first ever class together. And then we stayed in like the meter classes for a little bit. And his first few weeks at hits, he was mid circuit champion in the lows, oh. which was cool. Cause I'm like, all right, I didn't buy a total dud. He, yeah. He's got it need to yep. keep figuring him out. He's got it. And then we did like a whole year in the meter 10 and the high adults. And then it wasn't until the last year, right before he retired, that we ended up doing the low junior AOs, which is the meter 25s and stuff. And he,
0: cool.
1: when you look at those videos from the start to the end, I mean, just a totally different horse. He had the talent there and all of the athleticism to go to the top of the level he just needed somebody to really take the time to finish him and you know go over all the little holes that were missed along the way and right. I'm happy that it did because I've always said if they've got a good brain and a good heart that's not something you can train and he definitely had that so I had a great starting place to begin
0: with Totally. Yeah. Did you decide to um, keep him as a stallion? I didn't. Okay. <laughs> they, I was going to, um, yeah.
1: <laughs> no. Well, he still thinks he is sometimes. Of course. Uh, but they decided to geld him before she transitioned him over into the jumper barn just because she thought he would sell a little better and maybe calm down a bit. Sure. And he he did come over here and he was Pretty manageable until I would say like a month in. Then his full personality came out and he had no manners. We couldn't tack him up outside of a stall. And if anybody was handling him, it always had to be with two people and a chain. And he went through this phase, he just loved to get loose. So if you took him out, Chances are you were
0: going skiing. <laughs> wow, that is so funny. And did he just on his own work out of it? Did you just like a like a toddler pretend that it's not phasing you and just continue on? I mean So it was funny because the first few shows
1: we went to, I could just hop on him without a trainer getting on and without them doing warm-up classes. I could just take him to the ring and yeah. he might play a little in the warm-up ring, but as soon as he stepped into the actual show ring, he was nothing but game business you know, yeah yeah business and it wasn't until a couple months later where it just like little things started to mm-hmm. trickle and my show nerves started to build as well yeah. as you know moving up and I'd actually have the trainer ride him down because getting on him was the challenge as well because You risked him getting loose at the mounting block. So funny. Um, So she would get on him and walk him down, make sure that, okay, he's not gonna blow up. And then once I could see him, like visualize him behaving, then I would get on because mentally that's just what my brain needed. Yeah. But definitely didn't make a big deal out of it. We just, because he was so good in the ring. We just molded our routine around him, making sure that his anxiety didn't get to the point where he felt like he was
0: going to explode or run away. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever question if that was like a freshness thing or an attitude thing? Because there I mean, there's definitely a difference, but it's hard to gauge sometimes with jumpers because you obviously want to keep them, you know, fresh and and have the ability and energy to be able to go through the course and you you know, have that endurance. You don't want them to be too tired. And I know with my experience with hunters, it's like usually they're too fresh. Like usually you need to like ride them down a little bit. What did you find for him? So he's funny.
1: Like once you're in the ring, he's got the gas pedal there, but he's a big horse. He does not move very fast, but because he's big strided, we could cover a lot of ground and he was actually pretty handy. But I was always like, I need all the energy that I can get because I'm so little that my legs Mm -hmm. by the end, I'm like, come on, buddy, we need to go. And I always said, you know, a couple years down the road, he'd probably be the perfect equitation horse because he just likes to stay the same. But I never flatted him the morning of, I never lunged him. If anything, I would just get on a bit early Mm -hmm. and just make sure I could flat him, He's loose, soft and and mm -hmm. relaxed and get nice and loose because I I truly think it was more of an anxiety thing more than anything. Like he just had these show nerves. yeah. um, And I didn't want to get after him for it because I had plenty of nerves too. right? And if I just had somebody telling me it's okay and taking the calm approach, Mm -hmm. that always worked really well with me and it ended up working great for him. And by the end, no issues. He was you, anybody can get on him
0: now. He's, mm-hmm. he's so good. And he it's so, through. yeah, it's so cool to see that because you see, and, and how much horses in that way can be like people where some people, they need their trainer to be like, snap out of it. You're going to be fine. Like tough love a little bit and some yeah. more patience and more, you know, like showing an example of how, you know, it, it's going to be okay. And then right. with horses, sometimes horses are like testing the waters a little bit and you just snap them out of it and they're like, okay, I get it. I get it. I'll be good. And others yeah. think they need that kind of like calm re- reassurance. I think or, he's a big baby.
1: Like yeah. I always say, he's often afraid of his own shadow. So uh-huh. if you were to get after him, he would probably be like, there really is something to be nervous about or scared about. Why are they, why are they getting after me?
0: Exactly. Um, Yeah. Those sensitive types.
1: Yeah. He Mm -hmm. is so sensitive. Like you said, the toddler approach where it's like, nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. And the softer you were, the more you could just feel him. (sighs) Uh
0: Breath and relax. But he is he's just a big character. He's funny. That's so funny. And yeah, that that makes for a great jumper for sure. I have a question for you, my lovely listener. How much do you value your fitness out of the saddle? I wanted to ask you that because of our sponsor today, Heels Down Fitness. The Heels Down Fitness app is an equestrian fitness and lifestyle program that is here to help you along your journey with your four-legged friend. They strive to help you achieve your full potential as a rider to better understand your muscles out of the saddle for a better connection in the saddle. With flexible programs, you can choose whether you want to work out at home or the gym or even the barn. The programs grow with you and there's no equipment necessary. So with more riders joining every day, they wanted to welcome my lovely equestrian podcast listeners with 20% off all programs with the code WELCOME20. That's WELCOME20. The Heels Down Fitness app is available on iOS and Android, and they are so excited for you to head on over and start the journey with them. Their website is heelsdownfitness.com, and make sure to give them a follow over on Instagram at heelsdown.fitness. Thank you so much, Heels Down Fitness. Let's get back to the episode. I'm gonna backtrack a little bit. When you started when he came to the States, you were starting to work with them, you had that month flat, and then you were like, Okay, we're gonna start doing some fences yeah. again. What kind of exercises did you work on? Once when those jumps were really small, you were getting into your groove with him for the first time. What did those kind of exercises and plans look like?
1: So we actually would have a ton of time faults because he had too much airtime. He would yeah. just get hung yeah. up in the air because he wanted to jump everything. Super spectacular, right, which I yeah. did love because he was a very careful horse and always gave you a great effort, but it was kind of like, all right, dude, we got to get back down to the ground. Gotta, in the 0.75, got- you don't need to
0: jump yeah. it like it's six feet in the air.
1: And he also, because he is so long body, you don't really get to appreciate it when he's put together. Mm-hmm. He, you can't tell, but when you look at him just from the ground, he is very long bodied. He's a big horse and he did like to get just flat and strung out. Right. Uh, we call it the Superman jump. Yeah, And he really liked the long spot because he hadn't really learned to get, you know, rock back on the hind end and get to the mm-hmm. base and off the ground. So we spent actually just a lot of time almost riding him past the distance a little bit, getting him comfortable, like with the small jumps, just getting yeah. to the base. Um, there'd be some landing rails just to encourage him to not land so far away from the mm-hmm. jump. Um, and really, we did a lot of grid work too, just to yeah. help figure out where his feet were. He's just totally. He's kind of a big klutz. He's a big guy and he didn't really pay much attention. Nothing fazed him, but yeah. did lots of footwork and lots of practice, just getting him comfortable, getting nice and to the base, powering off the ground and not spending so much time hung up in the air or getting so landing so far away from the jump too, mm-hmm. you know? If you were in a one stride, you would land on
0: top of the next jump. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And being so huge. It's like, if you, it totally, you probably have to be really careful about how you came into something like that. Oh,
1: especially the one strides. You, even a two, those were tricky for a long, I'm like, we might do this in a bounce. Yeah. (laughs) I'm, or we might just, I I don't even know. We might take out the whole entire second jump over, under, through, right? Uh Uh-huh. But he, he was a pretty fast learner too. You know, he, once he could figure out how to condense that canner and package it and keep the quality there, keep the energy behind. And he got more and more comfortable getting to the base of the jump. Then it all started to fall together. And I think the grid work, especially we didn't really jump him huge. And I didn't have a pro really until the last uh, year working with him, but it was just me and I didn't jump him huge. It was just lots and lots of time, footwork, and getting his feet placed in the right spot. Right. You know, so he could figure that out. And over time he the light bulb went on. He's like, Uh this is how you do it. Yeah. (laughs) And I when I watched the videos of him before I bought him, uh Kevin Bierce was the one riding him and jumping him, you know, these huge jumps. And I'm like, this horse has all the scope and you watch him jump these big jumps. It was almost like the bigger jumps, the bigger the fence, the better he would jump it. And you could actually get him to the right place. Mm-hmm. And then the smaller the jump was, the worse the jump quality was. And he just was like, I don't know how to jump these small jumps. So yeah. it was it was cool to be able to see him start all over again, start from the bottom and work his mm-hmm. way back up. I knew he could jump the bigger fences. It was just you know filling those holes in and getting him to be the best that he could be. And It was really, really rewarding, especially because I always felt like I was his mom. You know, we were in it together and this is my kid and I am raising him. And now he's just, he's, he's a superstar. I still adore him, whether he's jumping or not.
0: Yeah. So tell me a little bit about last year and obviously you retired him. How was that decision? And I mean, was there a significant injury? What went down with that?
1: Oh. Okay. This is still raw. Um, so like I talked about in the beginning, he always was so bold to the jumps, even though he's like, I don't know where to put my feet. I don't know how to jump properly. He mm-hmm. was always just so confident in himself and would take him, take you to the other side. And I always loved that about him. I never felt like even if a jump was spooky or he was a bit lucky, you never felt like you were really bold pushing him up there. He was always yeah. taking you. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the end of 2018, I just felt like it didn't matter if you were jumping a Cavaletti or, you know, big meter 30 oxer. He cantered it very when you canter up, it was so apprehensive. It was just, he was so unsure of what it was going to be like on the other mm. side and he would do it. It just, he wasn't feeling like my normal horse. So had the vet out, did the whole lameness exam. And he's like, oh, you know, I think he needs to have his SI done. So we did that, brought him back into work. Still wasn't quite right. He's like, well, it could be a primary source of pain. So if we didn't treat that, this, you know, this is going to keep coming back. And he's like, I think he needs to have his hocks done. So we did that, brought him back. Still not much luck. We ended Hmm. up trying OSPAS. Still no luck. And then I asked him like, well, what what's the next step? Because I think something's there and I just I don't want to settle for it's in between the ears and behavioral just because I'd had him so long. I'm like, I don't buy that this is a new version of him. So he had me send him up to Peterson and Smith in Ocala and we sent him there. We had a full body bone scan, soft tissue scan, the lamis locator done. He ended up getting loose from them, actually, when they did the lamest locator. He was showing off, and they were like, nope, nothing's wrong. What do you want us to do? And the bone scans, they said that his spine and everything was just so beautiful. They want to use it as an example when they're teaching their students. Wow. You know, it was good news, but at the same time, it was frustrating because I had really hoped to find, okay, why is he just not himself? Right. And they were like, well, the only other thing we can do here is a neurological exam, a workup. So I agreed to it. He came back with flying colors.
0: <laughs> yeah. So
1: then he came back home and I didn't really jump much. I just flatted him. And I just, I was so defeated because I felt like I had exhausted all my efforts and I couldn't figure out you know, what he was trying to communicate to me because it was no obvious lameness, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, he couldn't pinpoint what is it that's bothering him. And I had several trainers tell me, oh, he just needs to be put in a training program and you need to step away for like 30 to 60 days and just let them work with him. I'm like, I don't know. Because when I had him super, super green, at the very beginning, there was no trainer riding him. It was mm-hmm. me because he was a super rideable horse and always had a good brain and attitude. So I was like, right. I just, I don't think it's a matter of am I incapable of riding him the way he needs? I think mm-hmm. he's just trying to express that something's wrong. So I went back to my vet and I was like, all right, I know you thought this was our last effort, but is there anything else that you can think of that we can rule out? He's like, well, the only other thing is an MRI, but they're going to need to narrow it down or it's going to get expensive if you want to do all the areas. So I looked into standing MRIs versus the ones where they're laying down with anesthesia. Standing is good if you know the exact area that you're trying to pinpoint just because they do sedate them a little bit. But if they move, then you risk the images not coming out clear. And in our case, because we didn't have a pinpointed area to look at, it was we need to do everything if we're going to do this. Right. So I ended up seeing the anesthesia MRI where he was completely laying down and we ended up finding something. But before we could narrow that down, he woke up from the MRI and the anesthesia and they had realized he had significant nerve damage to his hind end. When he was laying down, he didn't get enough blood flow.
0: Mm.
1: So he was unable to stand. And they kept him in the ICU for two and a half weeks. Had him on steroids. Got him in the stretcher to help him stand. And really, it was just watching those next few days, those forty-eight hours. It was very on the fence whether or not they thought the nerves were going to regenerate, or if it was permanent. Wow. Yeah. And I, I never heard of anything like that. So you know, you go in thinking, all right, I'm going to get these answers, but you lose sight of. There are are serious risks and complications to get those answers. And I was very lucky that the staff at the hospital worked around the clock, stayed overnight with him, and they exhausted all their efforts. And he did end up showing signs of regeneration in those nerves. So the left hind came back pretty quickly. The right hind was just staggering behind a little bit, but in two and a half weeks, they ended up saying he can go home and continue his recovery at stall rest and some mild walking. So he was off for probably four or five months and we slowly recovered and rehabbed that, the nerve damage, but the bigger issue was going to be long-term. Once he does recover from this, we still had something else to face. And at least we knew that the complications weren't for nothing because we'd gotten an answer. And that was he had a teeny tiny birth defect in his left front coffin joint. And it's very, very rare. Mm-hmm. And the issue with this particular defect is most horses, they're so lame from it that when they're born with it, they oftentimes get put down. Sure before they're one years old, because they're in so much pain, or it's the horses that have made it to the end of their career. And they haven't been able to follow it their whole life to know how severe was it? Has there been any changes? So it was comforting to say, you know, we've got an answer. We know what's causing this pain, especially when he's landing from the jumps. Mm -hmm. But it was, you know, uncertain. Is it truly a birth defect? Is it something that an injury could have caused from a young age? It's just one of those things they are they're not sure of. But mm-hmm. my only options were inject the coffin joint to keep going, which over time that wouldn't work. So we would have to inject the bursa sac, which is really, really risky. Mm-hmm. Um, or they offered a erectomy, which is where they deaden the nerves in the leg. But although that would relieve the pain, you risk them hurting themselves out in the pasture and the damage to the deep digital flexor tendon wouldn't stop. It would continue. So to me, I was like, those don't seem like options I, I would consider satisfactory. And I decided to retire him from jumping. And they said, should he make a full recovery from the nerve damage, he could probably flat and that won't bother him much. So Fast forward now, he's recovered from the ner- nerve damage 100%. He just wow. had his trip up in February. So that was, you know, really, really big news. And I knew he was such a fighter. He he wanted to come back really bad. And he did. And he proved us all wrong. So he's cleared for full flat work. But I decided I would rather retire him from jumping and make sure he gets to live a very long, healthy, comfortable life versus, you know, pursuing some of those alternative routes. And it would be one of those things I don't think necessarily is humane. And also there's no certainty. There's no saying that it would work or it would guarantee you another five years together. So to me, that didn't seem like a risk I was willing to take. I just, I loved him too much. And now hopefully we get to pursue some dressage once this coronavirus craziness. At bay. Yeah. So wow. there's a light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Mm-hmm, totally. Well, I mean, it's just a mate. It's just like a testament to him and your relationship. He was still like fighting for you and still jumping for you.
1: I knew from the get go, it wouldn't be behavioral or training. I knew he was just, he would do anything. I feel like today, if I asked him to walk through fire, he would do it because yeah. he's just one of those horses, he wants to make you happy, and he loves you, and if you've got the respect there, he'll, he'll do anything you ask of him, so it was one of those moments, you know, you have a light bulb moment, and I think so many kids don't realize
0: how much these animals do for us. Yeah, that's such a good point, yeah, and he's the perfect example for that, so that's yeah. that's pretty amazing, so now that he is flatting and doing well. Obviously, you've had a little bit of a life transition, wanting to continue to ride. And obviously, there's been a little bit of a transition with your status. So tell me a little bit about that.
1: So this all happened in uh, February of 2019. So My main focus was just getting him recovered and rehabbing him. And along the way, I had some very generous people. You know, they were like, you're such a good rider. You've been through a lot. We've got these horses. We would love for you to ride them if you're interested. So I did get to show a little bit after he had retired. And I cried. you know, it it was special to get back in the ring. But it also made me realize it's just not the same with... Out him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up stepping back from showing and just making him my priority and going through this new transition with him. And I also am hopefully going to be building a barn soon. So, so exciting. I, yeah, and very exciting things. And I was like, you know, this is a perfect time to start saving money instead of going to shows and continuing. Cause I'd had a very long show career with him. I had almost been three years. So I was like, you know, I've, I've had a great run And I think now's the time I'm going to save my money and take a step back from showing, especially since I don't have him anymore as a partner. And yeah, so I've retired from the showing aspect and it's been very refreshing. I've always loved working with the horses from the ground and at home. And um, really, I just kind of been hiding in my hole, focusing on Zini. And then it wasn't until (laughs) 2020, I had a friend reach out and she's like, look, there's not a lot of people I trust. And you're one of them. Would you be willing to come out and help me with my horse? And my amateur status was about to expire on Yousef. So it was renew or my membership. So it's like, do I renew? Or is this just like coincidental that at the same time, somebody's asking me to potentially come Train them that this USEF membership is expiring. And I was like, you know what? I have nothing to lose. So I'm going to go help this girl. And she ended up having several boarders at her barn that watched me teach her. And they're like, we want you to teach all of us. (laughs) So I decided to go professional and teach this small private barn and a group of girls and their horses. And it has filled my heart in ways. I won't ever be able to express, but I think it has given me more happiness than any horse show or win or, you know, jump could ever give me. Watching these girls conquer their goals and build their own partnerships with their horses and playing a small role in that, it's been so satisfying. (laughs) And that's where I'm at now that we're in 2020.
0: Wow. And we we talked about this before that it's something that like neither of us, you know, really thought would be yeah. the way that our life would look, but, and, and like both of us were so focused on riding and showing and all of that. And it's just so interesting how when you just try something a little different and uh, don't put any pressure on yourself, but just, you know, why not mentality um, and, until then, and then see the joy that it brings both of us. And I'm so happy that you found find so much joy in it. And we're able to make that transition.
1: At the end of the day, I, it was like you said, I have nothing to lose. Why not? And I just, I don't think I ever would have gotten to this point if all the other things hadn't led up to it. And I truly think everything works out for a reason. And this is my And for now, I very much want to pursue it. And should any of these girls want to go horse show, I, I feel confident that I could put them in the ring. But I also know that I have plenty of friends and connections in the horse world that I know would, you know, put them in the ring and play a part in their career
0: as well. So... It's scary, but exciting. All good things. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Well, Melina, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Uh, Your story is so cool. And I know it would be helpful to a lot of people listening. So thank you for taking the time. And I wish you all the best.